0: Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk.
1: You're very welcome along to this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's programme, looking at the impact of COVID-19 on the hospitality sector post-pandemic. You can still listen back to the programme on our website at newstalk.com or as always on the Go Loud app. Well, coming up on today's programme, we'll be looking at the Programme for Government and its impact on climate action, the commitments and the requirements all contained in the Programme for Government as being discussed this week. Well, to give us his view, we're joined in the line by Professor Peter Thorne from the Icarus Climate Research Centre at Maynooth University. Um, There's been a lot of discussion surrounding the the Programme for Government, uh, Peter, this week and, uh, you know, a lot of kind of analysis and and discussion in many areas, but One thing that was very evident was the green print on the programme for government this week. That, of course, being the document contained with the Green Party, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Could you perhaps, Peter, first of all, just outline for maybe listeners that weren't fully across it this week, perhaps some of the big or the the key elements um, contained in the programme for government with regards to environmental issues?
2: The key element really, from my perspective, is the policy um, aspect or the legislative aspect around embedding climate into decision making. It's the setting of five-year carbon budgets and the delegation of those state departments. So it makes part of government every day similar to budgetary considerations. Carbon budgets will be a similar consideration that government departments will have to balance. So no longer will it be the prerogative of a small government department up against the big boys of health, education, agriculture, etc. But rather, every department will have to um, play a part in addressing climate change issues. And that's a real game changer.
1: Sorry, you're saying that that'll be contained in the programme for government over the next number of years. It's not just for the, the lifetime of this next government.
2: Yes, well, once legislation is there, it would require active legislative efforts to repeal it, which makes it much harder for any future government to uh, diminish the importance of climate action in their policy making and decision making.
1: Can you take us through, Peter, perhaps some of the, the big changes or maybe where people will, will be impacted even on a consumer on a personal level?
2: So there are there are big changes in the programme for government around the quality of housing, um, both new builds, but significantly retrofitting building. There is buildings, there is an ambition to retrofit half a million houses. Um and retrofitting includes includes um insulation and heating and other aspects that reduce the carbon footprint. Now they have also Benefits: Your property rating goes up to a better energy rating, you lower your bills, you live in a more comfortable, warm, um, dry house, so there are many benefits to that. You would also see um, a great change towards electric vehicles, which are not something to be scared of in the slightest, I own to myself, um, for our family. Um, and you will see many changes in consumer consumer um, habits of things like groceries there is talk of thinking about putting in carbon budget um, information on groceries so you can make informed choices so lots of changes but those changes are generally beneficial and positive for people
1: what what will the financial cost of this be
2: so one thing is that we will need to invest after COVID nineteen. So this is an opportunity. We know we have to invest anyway. Why not invest in means that change the status quo to something that makes us more sustainable for the twenty first century? Um and the costs will be will be say will be returned of time that your electricity, your heating bills, etc will inevitably go down so you might get upfront unit costs at the start of something like this but on the long term you can actually save money.
1: What about the other elements to the programme for government with the, the the other green elements I should say Peter, w- were you surprised maybe by the inclusion or exclusion of some aspects?
2: So the government, I, I have the utmost admiration Politicians have always used it's an impossible job. The programme for government cannot be solely an environmental programme. There are health, education and other issues. So there are undoubtedly things that if I just wanted the government to do, environmental things, I would be disappointed in. But equally, it's important to be pragmatic and realistic. And realistic as to the situation that we find ourselves in at the present time in the middle of a global pandemic. So I think the programme for government is balanced as as is possible to be and it does good things on the environment while recognising that there are other competing priorities.
1: Were you surprised by the recent findings of the Irish Times' Ipsos MRBI poll just earlier this week, Peter, that basically showed um, the public doesn't see climate change as a priority and that really comes off the back of an election just earlier this year that saw you know a, hu- a huge increase um in in votes and support for the green party are you surprised that the the public's view on that has changed somewhat
2: I'm not entirely surprised by that we're in the middle of a global pandemic people who were in secure jobs have lost their jobs or been furloughed and they're under government payment protection plan and they don't know the future and it's it's the difference between something that's happening now and very fast and very scary and something that's happening very slowly but what people absolutely need to understand is that COVID-19 will look like a walk in the park unless we, unless we sort out the climate change issue because climate change without significant mitigation efforts in the timeline of our children and our grandchildren, will dwarf the impact of the COVID-19 crisis. So I'm not surprised because people absolutely are driven by their short-term priorities, and rightly so, but we must keep our eye on the long game of climate change here.
1: Do the objectives, the green objectives contained in the programme for government, do, do they go far enough to try and decarbonize the economy and tackle climate change or, or could they have pushed for more do you think?
2: I think they go as far as the as the current scientific guidance from the from the IPCC the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change that talks about needing to half emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2050. Uh, there is the looming issue that we can get probably to the emissions relatively simply, but there is a need for great uh, technological and other innovation to get us the rest of the way. There is a strong need for R&D and Ireland can play its part and Ireland can potentially be a global leader in, in developing and exporting technologies and solutions to the rest of the world, giving us a huge potential.
1: What's your view on the the farming sector and how they'll be impacted as a result of this?
2: So what we can't do, absolutely can't do, is just simply tell farmers to reduce the national herd. We need to reduce the national herd. But the way that we achieve that is by innovating and coming up with alternatives that are more attractive to farmers to undertake. And that's a wicked problem. It's a wicked problem in every country in the world. It's something that we absolutely need to work with. but we need to work with the agricultural community on this. I would love to see an island, that, an, an Irish rural economy that was more diversified, that was more robust to market vagaries, to things like animal diseases, as well as to climate change. So we need. To diversify agriculture into many different areas uh, away from a quasi-monoculture of beef and dairy that we have now, but it needs to take time and it needs to be done carefully and it needs to carry the farming community with it.
1: Just on a final point, Peter, for the moment, and, and I know that perhaps, you know, you're, you're you're not working in the political field, but I mean, overall, do you think, will the programme for government, will it be well received by, you know, members, grassroots members and the likes of the Green Party and the public alike?
2: I think that at the present time, there is a lot of respect for politicians in the wake of the COVID-19 and how it's been handled nationally. I would like to hope that that goodwill would extend and that this would be this programme for government would be given a chance to see whether it works. We can't know for sure whether it does, but it would be churlish, I think, not to give parties now a chance to see what this actually means once the rubber hits the road and we start to see legislation and a recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic crisis.
1: Professor Peter Thorne from the Icarus Climate Research um, Centre at Maynooth University, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll have more on this issue in just a moment.
0: Between the Lines
1: on News Talk. You're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. On today's programme, we're continuing our discussion surrounding the programme for government, but in particular, focusing on the green issues and green considerations that are part of the new plan. Well, joining us on the line is a former climate scientist with Maynooth University, Professor John Sweeney. John, just first of all, um, if I could get by way of, uh, you know, a, a commentator down through the years, just your assessment of the document that was released this week.
3: Well, I have followed the the various iterations of climate strategies, uh, all the way from the very first one in the year 2000. And I think it's fair to say that this is the perhaps most progressive one that has come out. Uh, Certainly, if implemented, uh, this particular programme for government would transform uh, Ireland in terms of its position regarding climate change internationally, Um, As everybody knows, we've been dragging our heels for 20 years and failing to meet the solemn undertakings that we made uh, both to Europe uh, and increasingly now to the United Nations in terms of our Paris Agreement uh, changes. Uh, And uh, this program, if implemented successfully, would reduce our emissions by 50% or so uh, over the next 10 years. And that's very much in line with what's coming out from Brussels in terms of the requirements of the, the Green New Deal coming from Brussels, which does envisage a reduction for the EU members of between 50 and 55% by that date. So in terms of, of this particular deal, uh, of course there are things in it which you know, one would like to see stronger. Uh, one has to recognise that it is the product of a uh, hard negotiation. But in terms of the climate aspects to it, Uh, I think um, we we should welcome it, um, and we should welcome it as perhaps something that offers the opportunity, as I say, to transform uh, Ireland's position and to ensure a better lifestyle, a better life uh, for the next generation of Irish people as well, who will be, if this works, would be enjoying cleaner air, cleaner water uh, and a, a much healthier environment than we have at the moment.
1: Does it go far enough, John? Well, any climate
3: scientist will tell you it doesn't, uh, in the sense that the United Nations recommendation um, issued last December was that we needed a reduction of 7.6% every year from now on to ensure that we don't breach the commitments we made under the Paris 1.5 degree threshold. So certainly, um, although this is a, a very strong program, it, it doesn't go far enough, I mean, it mean it, it's For a developed country, one would expect it to go further. But it does meet uh, very closely uh, the likely obligations we will have in Europe. uh, And I think it does transform what was previously a rather anodyne climate action plan uh, issued last year uh, into one which is, is more dynamic. If we were to ask the question, does it provide Ireland with a fair share or not of the remaining carbon budget for the world? I think it would be true to say that we should be reducing by 11 or 12 percent. Um, and certainly that's, uh, that, that's a very important issue of climate justice, because we are, in fact, taking carbon uh, allocation from the developing world if we don't follow a much stricter and fair share approach. But in terms of the direction of travel, I think um, it, what one has to commend it for the fact that it is setting down very strong parameters, which over time, hopefully, could be, strict, could be made more strict as, uh, as we see the acute uh, ramifications of the climate crisis and biodiversity crisis manifesting themselves.
1: What do you think could have been included in this document? I mean, I, I know, and look, to be fair, there is obviously um, a greater focus or certainly, you know, increased measures being brought in as part of this programme for government. But how realistic is it that these can be achieved, though, uh, John?
3: Well, there are, I suppose, the the chief concerns that people would have is the uh, the speed at which the um, implementation of that 7% average is going to be achieved. And um, certainly, um, there are things which take time to achieve, uh, such as the construction of wind infrastructure offshore and so on. But I think um, I would have liked to have seen more in the way of the heavy lifting in the short term. Uh, over the next three or four years, rather than taking to touch a little some of the more, the more rapid reduction rates, which are likely uh, to be envisaged in the programme for the second carbon budget period of 2026 to 2030. Now, there are steps which can be taken immediately. Uh, we can take steps, for example, to reduce our agricultural emissions almost overnight if we had the will to do it by uh, limiting artificial insemination uh, by limiting car, uh, nitrogen fertilizers by stopping this headlong rush to intensification a little, so those kind of things have not really been included in the in the current program for government and perhaps one would have liked to have seen that. There are things which are very positive in transport, for example, uh, and in terms of the carbon the carbon tax, a, a slight increase will help make uh, make innovation and make enterprises uh, consciously aware of the viability of their enterprise in terms of a carbon floor price, but I would have liked to have seen it a little more in the in the early years rather than a build up as is implied uh, to more stricter reduction uh, figures towards the end of the period.
1: What about some of the, um, if you like, kind of commuter, consumer um, friendly measures that are being brought in? I know there was a lot of talk made this week of the fact that they talk about this 360 million euro or even, you know, 1 million euro per day to try and increase and roll out cycling and walking infrastructure across the country.
3: Well, I think it's welcome to do that. I mean, there is, for example, uh, an intention to ban uh, fossil fuel powered cars by 2030. And that's something that's quite widely um, currently planned across Europe. Uh, some countries, I think like Norway, have plans to do it even earlier. Uh, so those kind of things will help, obviously, health and they help with the obesity problems and, and help also with congestion problems. Uh, and I think what I I like about this plan as well is that they do offer the opportunity for better regional development in terms of Uh, people working from home a little more uh, and offer the opportunity of changing perhaps our settlement policy whereby people can work more locally in maybe hubs in their regional towns rather than the the mad rush on the trains and on the buses and in cars into the centres of our cities to to huge plate glass offices. Um, I, I think there are opportunities which the COVID crisis has given us here Um, to change a lot of things in terms of of transport and our way of life, which we should grasp because it will help um, uh, many aspects of our economic development down the road to do that.
1: Do you think is this going to to be palatable to the Green Party activists and members across the country, John?
3: Well, that's a subjective choice that they have to make and um, I'm not going to seek to influence them one way or or the other there because... um, uh, it's a political choice for them um i, I all i will say is that a, a deal like this um is unlikely to come along in the next 5 years in any strengthened form uh and um uh, although it's a bit uh, it has warts and all attached to it um there are positive things which definitely um represent progress uh but uh, i wouldn't go further than that in terms of influencing voters one way or another in any of the three parties who have their own choices to make.
1: In terms of the agricultural sector, I mean, do you think was enough done in that particular area?
3: Well, I would have liked to have seen more. Um, I would have liked to have seen some greater commitments to, for example, not renewing the nitrates directive uh, uh, derogation Um, I would have liked to have seen a greater sort of emphasis on diversification away from intensive dairying. Um, Those kind of things I think we we, we could have expected to see. And in the short term, of course, I would have liked to have seen uh, an end to the increase in in cattle numbers, because uh, methane is just the, the most toxic gas that we produce in volume in Ireland, and uh, even a slight reduction in methane would be very very advantageous to reaching that 7% value overall. Um, I'm very keen on keeping the rural economy vibrant. I think it's essential, and I'm very em- em- empathetic towards the needs of farmers to, to achieve a decent income. And I'm very supportive of the measures and the plan to support family farming and especially beef farming which I think um, is very conducive to the preservation of biodiversity, especially in the west of Ireland. But I would like to have seen some sort of signal that we won't go down the road of simply um, greater intensification, especially of dairying, uh, greater increases in herd numbers, which I think would be counterproductive to the sacrifices that are being made elsewhere in the economy. I, w- I would hate to see, for example, a rural-urban divide opening up on this issue, because I think it's important that we all pull together. So I, I think the, you know, the-, the measures that have been taken in agriculture, um, while very limited, uh, are useful, but um, may have to go further down the road.
1: In terms of the the, the lifetime of this government, when you look at the various different aspects that they're trying to achieve um, during during its tenure, I mean, is there a likelihood that they'll be able to do all they plan to do?
3: Well, I think uh, if you have um, the major parties of the country in government and you have a consensus among them, you have a very powerful coalition and... um, uh, there will be areas, of course, that uh, there will be squabbles over down the road, and there will be areas where it's going to be very hard to reach consensus. But these are now down in the programme for government as black and white sentences that we, you know, it's going to be very hard for people to show dissent to um, if 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 the programme is accepted. So I'd be confident that there will be collective responsibility to support this programme down the road and, and in that sense I think uh, we, we could have a stable situation for the next few years. It's going to be a very hard few years as we emerge from a period of austerity um, and that will be a very very difficult test for the stability of any coalition not just in Ireland but in other parts of Europe as well. But um, I think there is a tendency in Ireland to pull together when we are under these kinds of pressures and I would hope that uh, this kind of uh, it would be something that would be permeating the, the, the next um, few years in the political system.
1: Professor John Sweeney, uh, formerly a climate scientist at Monuth University, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talk's Between the Lines programme. We'll have more on this issue in just a moment.
0: Between the Lines on News Talk.
1: You're welcome back to this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're continuing our discussion today on the uh, programme for government, but in particular, the impact of this on the uh, climate sector and what change will likely be brought about. Well, joining us on the programme is environmental journalist John Gibbons. John, my thanks to you for taking the call today. Just first of all, John, I want to ask you about your um, your assessment of the, uh, the green credentials, the details outlined in the uh, new programme for government this week.
0: Yeah, I've I've looked at it very closely and, and, you know, in many respects it's surprisingly good. Now, I qualify that by saying that we've seen nothing for the last 10 years. I mean, absolutely nothing since 2011. uh, It's been a wasteland, really, from a climate environment point of view. So in that sense, this is the first time we've seen a a genuine green agenda driving. Having said that, when you look into the detail, uh, in some respects it. It's genuinely good, and it certainly takes us to places that we haven't been before. And, and I suppose the key demand, if you like, from the Greens in this was um, a 7% average emissions cut over the next 10 years. Now, this has been controversial because it looks like they fudged a little bit exactly on the timing of that. It looks like a lot of the heavy lifting may fall to the second um, carbon reporting period from 2026 to 2030. Uh, however, if you consider that between 25, 2005 and 2019, we achieved in total about 1% emissions cuts over a 15-year period. When you consider switching from that completely failed model to a model that is looking to achieve 7% straight line per annum, it certainly doesn't lack ambition. And some of the details I think are very, very encouraging. If we take a quick run through Mm. them, for example, the commitment to retrofit 500,000 houses. Now, that's a quarter of our entire national stock up to B2 standards. Now, and also including the mechanism for financing that. So in many cases, that would mean, for example, people being able to finance that themselves uh, with, with uh, subsidy and support, but through, for example, replacement of, of their, the equivalent payment that they might at the moment be making on their um, gas bills or on their, on their oil bills. So finding mechanisms to allow people to do that. So we all end up as a winner. And of course, half a million uh, retrofits is going to generate tens of thousands of jobs all over the country. In every parish in Ireland, there's going to be employment created out of this. And most of it, Andrea, will be self-financing because what you're doing essentially is replacing billions of euros of imported fossil fuels with better built homes. And this is long, long overdue. So that's one of the things that I'm Mm. genuinely excited about. I'm also really keen on the modal shift in transport. They're, They're committing 20% 20% of all transport infrastructure funding to walking and cycling. Now, that's 360 million a year ring fence, which is essentially a million a day. And again, we have poured billions into building motorway infrastructure, into other heavy infrastructure that is really based around the car. We know for sure that we've got to move away from that. So this is the first time that that's written in a way that we can all understand. Mm. And it's also supported financially.
1: So. So you've outlined, John, I suppose, some of the, the measures there. I mean, is this actually a Green New Deal for the country or is it elements of all of the different parties, you know, together? I mean, can the Green Party take full credit for this?
0: Well, I, I think there's no question. Without the Green Party's involvement, this wouldn't be happening. I mean, let's not fool ourselves on this. Uh, you know, we've, we've known, for example, that Fine Gael and any of their coalition allies have zero interest in, in any kind of, of a progressive green agenda and they've had years in which to 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 confirm that so without the greens there would be no green deal is this a green new deal i think it's as close as i've seen in the 15 years that i've been reporting on this this is the closest that i've seen is it perfect no it isn't but we need to be careful sometimes not to throw out the perfect or to throw out the good in pursuit Mm. of the perfect what i do believe is this deal gives a, a pathway if you like to getting to where we need to get to. Does it deliver everything today? No, it doesn't. But without it, if you look, if you take this deal off the table and you look at a patchwork of what's on offer from any of the other parties or even add Sinn Féin back into the mix, there's nothing in their manifestos, and I've looked at them all, that would match this in terms of delivering on some of the big issues that I've outlined. Okay. And that's really, when you put all that together, uh, you know, this is, as I say, it's the best Deal that I've seen. Could it be better? Of course it could, but it could also be a great deal worse.
1: Is it something that's achievable during the lifetime of the government, or is it, you know, is it too ambitious? Well, in climate action,
0: you can't be too ambitious, right? Uh, the the old saying about, you know, you, if you were heading on this journey, you wouldn't start from here. Where, of course, we should have started from was fifteen or twenty years ago, but unfortunately, for all kinds of reasons, we didn't. So we're starting from a very bad place. So, unfortunately, that's the legacy of previous governments. However, so we've got to succeed on this agenda. It's not an option, and it isn't, by the way, just something to humour Green Party people. This is, this is a, an agenda that affects all of us. So, is it achievable? I believe it is, uh, but I think the Greens and their supporters are going to have to push very hard to make sure that elements within the government who have no interest in this agenda don't quietly suffocate it over the next couple of years. And don't, for example, use financial arguments to say, "Ah, oh, well, you know, we can't do this retrofitting, it's too expensive. Well, we can't do the, the, the bicycle thing, it's too expensive. So I think as long as they keep their eye on the ball, I think we'll see progress. But the alternative, and I have to come back to this again, the alternative to this is inaction, predatory delay, which is what we've had for the last 10 to 15 years. And we really can't afford another four or five years of that.
1: Is it something just when you, when you mention the political aspect of all of this? Is it something that you think the Green Party grassroots members will actually support?
0: Well, I guess that remains to be seen. Of course, it requires a two thirds. Uh, of the membership, which is quite a high bar, but obviously it's a big decision. Uh, I've seen a lot of divisions. I, I guess I'm on Twitter a lot, and you do see uh, some very strong voices expressing views. Uh, I do believe there's what's called a social justice wing within the, within the Greens, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of unhappiness there on issues like Palestine and housing and so on, which I completely understand. Uh, however, I suppose the, the more traditional Green view is that you've got to get climate first. Get climate first, then everything else is possible. If you fail on climate, then nothing is possible. So that I, I'm afraid I would fall into that view. I think there's lots of other things that we need to fix. I mean, for example, there's no ban on live exports of animals, e- even young calves, which is just horrific. Uh, and of course, uh, that should be in there. But sometimes you've got to run with what you've got. You've got to get the big ticket items across the line and then work, work your way down the ticket. But I would, I would hope that people will look at this and, and, and see it in the, in the you know, in, take it in, in totality and, you know, hold their nose a little bit if necessary on some of the things that, that it doesn't deliver on uh, because the big numbers, the big tickets, as I described them, they, they're delivered here. And as I say, I think the, the, the follow-up, we can deal with the smaller details maybe uh, if there's a second part of this government in four or five years' time.
1: Can I ask you about the um, Irish Times, Ipsos, MRBI um, poll, the survey that was out earlier this week, John, and one of the aspects of it, they, they looked at um, climate change and how people now view, you know, climate as, as a priority or not. It would appear the public don't seem to, according to the survey. I'm just interested in your view on that, given the level of support for the Green Party in the last election.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. If you go back, say, before the coronavirus, uh, I think there was a lot more visibility of climate action. And I I would say part of that uh, falls on the media. Um, The amount of coverage of climate change since the coronavirus, it's just fallen off the the map. And this has been a constant problem for people trying to campaign in this area, that as soon as something comes along, whether it's Brexit or coronavirus or a recession, immediately climate action is considered to be one of those items that can be ejected from the news cycle, so I'm not surprised, Andrea, that there's been a fall off in public awareness and climate because there's been a huge fall off in media coverage over the last uh, three to four months. I mean, you but know, you could
1: argue that about any topic. I mean, we were dealing with a worldwide pandemic. I absolutely agree. But and prior to that, we were dealing
0: with Brexit. The problem is uh, the climate crisis is coronavirus times Brexit times a global depression, you know, on, all rolled in together. And I know that can be difficult to keep our focus on that. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm merely asking or answering your question mm. as to why I think yeah. there's been that fall off in awareness. And I think it's, it's about front of the mind things. And you're absolutely right. People, all of us, we've been in strange situations for the last while. And of course, uh, threats that appear further down the line have been, put, have been sort of pushed off the agenda. But I try and keep, a, keep an overview on it and keep, keep a view on the wider picture, which is that we live in a very connected world. And the, the decisions that we make, uh, they, they really have impacts that come right back around again. You know, that's why we need to keep, keep our eyes on the prize and fix these big ticket items that eventually will lead to, to hopefully better outcomes for all of us.
1: Environmental journalist John Gibbons, my thanks to you for joining us on this week's Between the Lines programme. Do stay with us. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Between the Lines on Newstalk.
1: Well, we're joined on the line by Dr. Cara Augustenberg, who's an environmental policy fellow at UCD and also member of President Higgins' Council of State. Cara, can I ask you, first of all, we had the programme for government as outlined by the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Green Party this week. It's now going to the uh, various different grassroots members for their er- approval or rejection. What is your view of the document?
4: Oh, well, Andrea, I, it's it's certainly better than anything we've ever seen from a program for government in Ireland. So if you look at, at this program for government compared to the one in 2016, there were maybe 10 pages on environment in, in the 2016 one and, and, and advocating for continued use of, of liquid natural gas infrastructure and exploration of oil and gas. And now we see in 2020 a complete reversal where sustainability and environmental issues are presented throughout the entire document uh, now saying a commitment to end oil and gas exploration, a commitment to no longer uh, advocate for liquid natural gas to terminals, and to ban the import of fracked gas. So it's a it's a huge reversal on what we've seen in the past, and 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 that is a very promising development in in Irish politics.
1: What do you think are the the major new um, ticket items that have been included within the document? I mean, some had already been previously leaked or discussed in advance.
4: Yeah, I I think one thing that's very promising is that this does in in many ways align with the European Union's proposal for what they're calling a Green New Deal. So taking the idea of of Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal when when America was coming out of the Great Depression in the 1930s and and adding that green lens and adding the kind of technology that we now have regarding renewable energies and and a climate commitment and an emissions reduction commitment and a, a plan to tackle biodiversity. And so that's what the EU is committing to, to taking on right now. And, and this program for government does have a lot of the same elements and a lot of the same commitments, particularly with respect to emissions reductions for for addressing climate change. So I think that's quite positive. I think if it weren't for the fact that the, the Green Party entered negotiations, we wouldn't be talking about that level of ambition at all with respect to, to climate change and emissions reductions. You know, and other elements like biodiversity and in agriculture, I think it's, uh, it's less ambitious than what the EU is proposing, but um, but but generally quite positive.
1: Can you, from looking at the document, Cara, is it all a Green Party stamp that's across the document, or I mean, do you see other elements of the Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael parties too included, with regards to, say, very specifically the Green elements?
4: Yes, I, I, I mean, I, I think there a lot of people have said there's green fingers throughout their, the whole document, and that is a testament to a strong negotiation on their part, that, that their views are so visible, despite only receiving 7% uh, first preference votes in the last election. Uh, but I, I would say that probably the reason why the section on agriculture is weak environmentally, uh, and perhaps why the section on biodiversity, the language is, is much more vague, and there's much less firm commitments than the other sections on climate is perhaps because of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, who who haven't shown interest in those issues, who don't want to let down uh, their 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 agricultural voters. Uh, so so I think that that's maybe where the, where the Green Party fell down a little bit in their negotiations.
1: Um, do you think will this be well received by the Green Party grassroots members?
4: I, I think generally it will be. I mean, if you look at uh, all of civil society and the NGOs have, have come out very uh, favorable about this, um, the One Future campaign, which is a coalition of, of numerous uh, NGOs who are all interested in Ireland having a Green New Deal, they've they've strongly endorsed the, the program for government. I mean, obviously, there are concerns and, and pressure will have to continue to make sure that that these are robust and that there are firm commitments associated with all of these promises. But but generally, people who've been working on this like me for over a decade are, are saying this is, this is the best thing we've seen to come out of a, a, a potential government. So uh, I think the Green Party members will generally take on board the advice of experts and the advice of civil society. And, and if, you know, if most of civil society is endorsing this, uh, I think the Green Party members will, will also endorse it too.
1: Is it something that is actually achievable during the lifetime of this
4: government? Uh, I, I guess it really depends on the lifetime of the government, and and that's a big concern. Uh, there there are things that I think are really important to to get in within the first 100 days. And if I was a, a Green Party person, and and some of these things weren't. Uh, put in place within the first 100 days, I'd probably be thinking about walking away, But and particularly with regard to climate legislation. So we've seen again and again, climate legislation is committed to, and then it gets kicked down the road, and it becomes a last minute thing that a government implements, and it tends to be very watered down at that stage. So it's really, really important that this new climate legislation that they're proposing happens within the first 100 days, uh, and that those those 7% emission reduction targets and those five-year carbon budgets that they're proposing uh, get established in law because that paves the way for every sector to then say here is how we're going to do our fair share to achieve those targets and and that's what's been missing in climate legislation this whole time is we've never had this conversation on what is the responsibility of each sector to reduce emissions. So every sector just says, oh, it's not really our problem. It's somebody else's problem. And, and that's why these carbon budgets and, and sectoral targets are so essential and need to happen immediately if we're going to make these emissions reductions. Is that achievable,
1: though, in 100 days? Like 100 days is a very short time frame, Cara.
4: Yeah, and I, I think it probably won't reach final stages of legislation in that 100 days. But certainly, if we get the process started and and we start talking about carbon budgets and forming this new climate uh, climate council that they're talking about, which will have much more uh, powers than the current climate advisory council, uh, I, you know, I think that is perfectly achievable within 100 days. A lot of groundwork has already been done. These are issues that civil society was fighting for 10 years ago in the first climate legislation uh, that then then got removed by the the government at the time. So all we're asking for really is to put those original ideas uh, back on the table and, and put them into legislation.
1: When you compare us with other EU countries, I mean, are we starting to address many of the steps that I know a lot of people, a lot of activists for a long time would have said we we failed in some of those departments?
4: Yeah, I think this is a really exciting moment in that we are seeing our two main parties which have for a long time shunned environmental issues and seen it as a a sideline issue, uh, now accepting that they can no longer do that. So I I think, you know, uh, what a lot of uh, analysis has said is is that if this program for government is implemented, it actually starts to position Ireland as a leader on these issues instead of this reputation we've had in the past for being a laggard. And I think particularly on the issues of liquid natural gas infrastructure and uh, banning the import of frack gas, those would be uh, very leading leadership uh, qualities. I mean, we were one of the first countries in the world to ban uh, the, the exploration of fracked gas on the island. It makes perfect sense that we would now ban imports of fracked gas uh, and, and continue with that level of leadership. Um, and then I also, you know, something that hasn't gotten any mention uh, is, is what's in the program for government on circular economy and, and waste. And so there is a commitment in there to bring back the idea of a deposit and return scheme for plastic bottles. This was something the green Party and Labour put forward in the last government and it was passed in legislation but then blocked over a money order. So, um, you know, bringing those kind of circular economy issues back on the table would also really position Ireland in a much more sustainable uh, way on waste too, not just climate.
1: Dr. Cara Gustenberg, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download the podcast on our website or listen back on the Go Loud app. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. Between the Lines, we'll be taking a short break for the next couple of weeks. You can listen back to any of our podcasts from across the year on the website at newstalk.com. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.